Heritage Media. Back in the day, the backyard pool in Australia is not so common. And if you were lucky enough to have one, your mates probably called you rich. And if your home didn't have one, you'd make friends pretty quickly with the neighbours' kids who did. And while there was fencing around it, it wasn't great and it wasn't safe. According to the Royal Life Saving website, in the mid to late 90s, there was on average 57 drowning deaths per year. And that's just with the zero to four year olds. That's over one child per week. And while there are plenty of keep watch campaigns, it's hard to believe in New South Wales pool compliance checks when the property with a pool changed hands wasn't made mandatory till 2016. Now, since those mandatory checks came in, the years that followed, the number of zero to four drowning deaths dropped to 18. Now, 18's too many, but countless little people's lives have been saved due to pool compliance. And on today's episode, we're chatting with Tony Jardak, and he's a swimming pool inspector at 1.2 Pool Safety. And to tell you all about it and answer all the questions you may have is Tony. Um, I do have to say that we are recording this um, over the phone due to lockdown. So the audio is as good as we can get it, considering. And I hope you enjoy the chat. Hi Tony, it's Carly from Wisebury. How are you? Hey, good Carly. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well. I'm really well. Thank good, you so good. much for doing this. No, I appreciate you letting me do this. So my <laughs> first question, Tony, I just want to know why do I actually need a pool or spa inspection? Okay. So in summary, it would be that if you are coming to sell your house or if you decide to lease your house, um, by law you're required to have it. Um, the other um, instances where it might come up is if you're doing foster care or you're doing um, like a childcare at home, like a formal one, uh, then you'll also need to have it. So what will happen in that case is that um, whoever's looking um, after the foster care, the actual agency, or when you get your approval for the childcare, what will happen is that when you um, so when you come to do foster care, the, the agency... Um, or if you come to do childcare when you actually get the approval um, because you obviously have to check everything else in your house, the all that sort of stuff in it, all those certificates. So if you've got a pool there um, or an outdoor spa, then and then they'll tell you that you actually need to do it. Most people, oh, I wouldn't say most, but I'd say half people do, you know, not aware that they actually have to do it from the calls I get. And the other half are vaguely aware that they need to do it, but they're a bit confused on what, the, um, what actually needs to be done. But they're not, you know, until it comes time for them to actually need it when they're selling or leasing and their conveyance says, hey, where's the certificate or their agent? They, um, yeah, then they realise that they're st- they, they need to start looking for someone. Yeah, and when um, did that like law when, come When did that law come in? Yeah, so that started um, officially, I guess, in 2016 was, you know, would be when it really started to kick in. They... They started working on these rules from about 2013, and it was um, going back and forth, back and forth. But 2016, um, you know, they pretty much had a proper system in place, and you know, and this started to happen, you know, on a regular basis. So, so and then, but, yeah. 
Do yeah. you, the obviously I when I'm thinking pool or spa, I'm I'm thinking of an actual pool or spa. But what about your sort of um, above ground inflatable pools, that kind of thing? Do they also need a certificate? Well, yeah. So technically, they do because so what it says is that anything which is capable of being filled 300 mils, so 30 centimeters, and its main purpose um, is for aquatic activities. It says human aquatic activity or swimming. You are meant to have a fence around it. So all these ones you buy, Bunnings and things like that, they are meant to have a fence around it. As long as it can hold water more than more than 30 centimeters deep, you know you're meant to fence it. But people are not really aware of that. But yeah. So you go out and you you do the inspection, and we'll talk about all the things you do in the inspection in a moment. But yeah. do you let people know sort of there and then what's wrong, or is it? A week later, they get a report, and then they have to go about doing it, and then you come back. How does that actually work? Yeah, so the way that I do it, everyone does it their own way. So my process is that I let them know on the day, usually on the spot. Because of the type of reporting I do and the systems I use, my inspections are a lot quicker, so I usually get them done in about half an hour or so. And if the owner is there, um, you know, I don't mind going through with them, and I can tell them on the spot that this needs to be done in some cases, once I cite the ball, without even doing the inspection, I'll know what's actually wrong with it. I'll give them a brief summary of what I can obviously see, and then I'll do the inspection. I'll let them know if there's anything else that needs to be done, or um, or, or that's it. And then I'll provide the solutions for them to get it fixed up. This is in the case, obviously, if it's not compliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah. this is, I mean, you as just said you've done this over 2,000 times. You can walk in and instantly see some stuff without even pulling out a tape measure or... Yeah. So what are the most common issues yeah. that you encounter? Yeah, so the common issues are um, the CPR sign is the first one because with the CPR sign, so this is the actual resuscitation sign, um, they also call it uh, full safety sign. With that one, they changed it recently as well. So they usually change wording or the way that it's laid out. So a lot of people fail on that. I mean, to be honest with you, most people have a sign that's about 10 years old and it's faded. But even ones that were bought two or three years ago would have to be changed normally. So that's one of the most common ones. Then the other one is the gate. So when people use a gate, they they don't test it the same as what what you meant to test under the law. And the way that where a lot of people fail is that when I test a gate, I, I open it where it's almost sitting sitting on the latch, you know, and then I'll let it go. If you don't have good hinges, a good magnet um, a good magnetic latch it's, it's not going to pull the gate all the way. But in other instances where people have used it under normal circumstances or what they would consider normal circumstances, um, where they have it open halfway and, you know, say, say all the way, and then it does slam shut. And then people think, oh, my gate's fine. So this is the other one where people fail. And that's why we've got that checklist where we tell them it has to open from any position, even if it's sitting close to the latch, because people you know, not aware um, of what the requirements are. They just think one gate does close, it does lock, but it has to do that from every angle. Yep. So that's the second one. And then the other one that people have that's common is that, so there's a rule, which because there's three standards um, that, 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 that we can apply to the pool. Now, what the regulations, so they brought out regulations in 2018, and what those said is that if a pool was built before 2008 and not modified after 2008, 
and then it can go under the the old standards, which were the 1986 standards. So where this comes into play now is that the main difference between the old standards and the new standards is to do with the boundary fence height. Under the new regulations, you have to have a 1.8 metre high boundary fence measured on your site. It does not take into account what what the other site is. So if you have a boundary fence which forms part of the pool area, and even if you lived, um, say, for example, uh, say on a cliff edge, and I've had this before, where there's a, where, where there's, you know, uh, how do I put it, a substantial drop, you know, on the other side, the new regulations do not take that into account. They want you to have a 1.8 metre uh, boundary fence on your side where it forms part of the pool barrier. So this is the third thing that people get stuck on because they don't realise that the boundary fence um, is that important and they're thinking that it was approved before and everything's fine. They come to change their their fence because you can imagine from 2008 to now, a lot of people are changing their fences because they would have rusted or they want to modernise it. Mm. Once you change the pool fence, so we're not talking about the boundary fence now. Once you change the pool fence um, and you think you've got a nice new fence and then you bring me out and then I see it's a new fence, because you've done the modification after 2008, you now come under the new standards, oh. which means that this boundary fence also has to change. So a lot of people are not aware of that because it's not very clearly you know, uh, defined. You can imagine a lot of people that have just spent maybe you know, several thousand dollars on a new fence um, are pretty disappointed that, They've tried to do the right thing, but now they're stuck because now their boundary fence doesn't comply. Yeah, right. So that's the so those are the top three things. You know, would be the the CPR sign, the gate closure, and this boundary fence. Um, you know, rule. So where we can, so if I find that there, that there is no no major modification, you know, if I can put the pool under the old standards that was built before two thousand and eight, not modified, and I've got some sort of evidence of that, I'm more than happy to put under the I'm um, under, um, under the actual standard that applied to the pool at the time, which was the 1986 standard. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen very often. It's hard to, um, uh, you know, I guess it's hard to sort of um, prove that because of the age of the pool. So there's some people, they do have receipts and things like that. And I can work off that. So, yeah, yeah, those are the three things. And what about the actual fence height? Um, the The... The, the fence height, what does that have to be? Yeah, so the pool fence itself can be 1.2 metres, the minimum height. It can't have anything climbable. I mean, if you want to put a general summary, that basically 90 centimetres on the outside of the fence has to be clear of any objects and vegetation and furniture and so forth. Uh, the fence is 1.2 metres high. It has to be um, a straight height, as in there can't be any, any bars or rails that go across it horizontally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've got vertical rods or you've got glass, it's just a straight, you know, um, that panel at 1.2 metres high from what the ground level is. So if there's a retaining wall within 50 centimetres uh, close to the fence in any direction, then then you're measuring off that. So that reduces the height. So you've got to make sure that it's at a clear ground area where, where the base of the fence is clear by 50 centimetres. So, and, and if you were under yeah. a few mil, do you, I mean, mm. we sold our home mm, yeah. probably about four or five years ago now, and it was a few mil, um, had a pool and, you know, obviously prior to settlement, we needed yeah. the pool compliance. And we actually had to pull up some pavers, dig out some sand and then relay the pavers because I think we're about six mil under 1.2. So yeah. 
Um, how how strict yes. are you with the one point two? Well, it's not my call now. Like I have to do what the law says, and it's very strict now. There is no um, leniency on things like that. You know, so obviously, when when it's six mil or you know, you can usually get away with it. You know, but in most instances, it's usually about fifteen to twenty mil. And in that case, you know, obviously they have to do some work. But you know, you are looking at basically at a millimeter difference, pretty much. Yeah. You know, and that's the same if it's a council inspector, private inspector. Unfortunately, even though you know we look at it and we say, well, what's what's the difference? It's only a couple of mils. But the law is very strict in that sense. But then on the other side of it is that you always try and find a solution for people actually solve it and when it's a few mil it's usually quite easy so that's the idea is that we you know where what we want to come into it from the angle that we have to follow all all these regulations but we're not well i don't feel i'm there just to give you bad news and say you're non-compliant i want to find your solution and work with you to get it compliant because it's not always as bad as what you think Mm. and then that way everyone comes up to the regulations it's painless because either way, you have to do it. So at least the way that um, that I guess I do it is that you know I'm here to help you, and these are some solutions, and we can get out of this a lot easier than what you think. So. And what about the um, you know? In my mind, I always think of the the old you know backyard pool up the the end of the the land, but you've got a lot of new homes yeah. where the pools really are. Um, right underneath windows, and they butt up against the house, and all that kind of thing. So how does that actually work if you've got windows? Overlooking the pool. Yeah, the window is actually quite easy to um, to solve. So there's a few options. The the most undesirable one is to have a fixed panel. So even if the window was able to move, and then you can bolt it shut or put a screw and shut it. The other options are that you can restrict the window to open um, ten centimeters. So if you have like a sliding window, you put, for example, um, a screw and a blocker inside the track. Mm-hmm. But it has to be a permanent one. It can't be a key one. That's another area that people think that the key ones are um, are okay, but it has to actually be something which is permanent. The best one really is that if you want to open the window all the way, you put um, you put a metal mesh uh, fly screen, so either the diamond type or the ones that are just um, just a plain metal mesh, and which mm-hmm. gets fixed inside the actual window frame, and then you can open it all the way because because you have that divider there, yeah, um, and that acts as a barrier. You can't use a normal fly screen, obviously, because it's you know it's not fixed into the frame and it's plastic and you know you can break it. You know if the child leans on it, but yeah. a metal mesh one's completely fine. Okay. And then. Yeah. And how do I actually? At what point, if I'm selling my home, should I be getting you out? Is it usually once the solicitor's made it aware that I need a pool compliance certificate? Is that what happens? <laughs> That's what normally happens, mm-hmm. but ideally, because most people would would not comply even though they might have a you know what they consider safe floor it might be a completely safe floor because of the technicality and the regulation it's better to get if you're thinking of selling it's better to get me out prior to it by i'd say you know at least you know at least a month so we can identify any any non-compliance issues and get them resolved so when you come to put your property on the market Obviously, there's a lot of things that you have to do at that stage, aside from the pool. It's better to have the pool thing out of the way, your pool's compliant, and then you can focus on you know, actually selling your house and getting all the other things done. And then you're not at the last minute where the conveyancer says, 
you know, uh, where's, where's your certificate? And your real estate agent has got a buyer or someone that's about to lease the property and everything stops because I come out and then you've got a few issues that need to be, you know, need to be resolved. And, you know, you're losing, well, you know, probably, you know, either lose, uh, I guess, you know, rent money, you know, because by the time you get it actually resolved because you can't rent it unless it's compliant. Or if you have a buyer that wants the port to be compliant and then, you know, people have actually lost the sale because they've left it to the last minute. And when I, you know, when someone like me get, comes down and does an inspection, it turns out that the pool is non-compliant and then, um, you know, the buyer gets cold feet and they back out. So I always try and do it about a month at least. You know, when, when you're actually sure you're going to sell, you know, give it about a month, you know, leeway and then get me out. And what kind so, of ratio is it when you, I mean, you've said you've done, you know, you've got over 2,000 inspections under your belt. What percentage of if it is just easy stuff, like move the barbecue, you got to chop a few branches down or, and then others is the big stuff. What's the sort of ratio that you come yeah. across? <laughs> That's actually a very good question. I'd say as far as just yeah, clearing the area around the fence, that would be, I'd say 20, 25%. Uh, of cases, and that's why we have that checklist online because we want people to actually look for this stuff and you know try and pass the first time because a lot of you know um, you know a lot of the times it could be something pretty minor you know where say 20 25 percent has to do with the furniture and the vegetation but then there's another um, uh, you know there's another amount which which are to do with the actual gate and to do with the CPR sign so. You know, and then you've basically got about 50, 60% of people are failing based on pretty simple points that they can easily um, do themselves and get ready before I come out. And then they pass the first time instead of the back and forth. Quicker mm. for them, cheaper for them. And if they just follow that checklist, then most times they're okay. Yeah. And how long does it take till I get the certificate? So if you've been out, I've got to amend a few yeah. things. Do you have to come back out, check yeah. it again, and then I get a certificate? Yeah, so if you're non-compliant, um, I will issue with with a non-compliance certificate. You will get a report explaining what what the issues are and what to do to actually resolve them. So you'll have that usually within about 24 hours. It's usually the next day. And once you resolve all the issues, which we can help you with, with as well, because um, I've got a lot of connections um, with, with all types of contractors and um, uh, fencing installers. So we can also assist you with that once it's all rectified i come out for the reinspection which is less than half the cost of the initial um of, of the initial inspection and and um you know and then do the final inspection passes issue with the compliance update the report so on my side it doesn't take long at all you know it's just paperwork so so an inspection following an inspection you're only looking 24 to 48 hours at most to actually get get the certificate and and the report, the only delay is how quickly you get the, the actual non-compliance issues, you know, resolved. But obviously, if it's compliant, then that's it. You're done the first time on, you know, on the first inspection. You have everything within, you know, usually the next day. You have your compliance certificate, and then you're all done, and then you can move on. And can I actually sell my house without one? If if my vendors yeah. are, if my buyers are happy to to waive that, can that be done? Yeah. So that happens. Uh, you know, uh, quite a fair bit now because where where a pool might be very old, for for example, if you have an old pool and the house might need renovation, there's 
usually not much point in getting the full um, compliance. So the law did factor that in when when they're doing all um, when they're doing all the regulations. So you can sell with with a non-compliance certificate, and yeah, and then the new owner um, they have ninety days after settlement to get the issues resolved. And the other side of that um, is that you know this is. And so if you're leasing, and then you definitely have to get it compliant, there's no other option if you're leasing. But if you're selling, non-compliance is okay. You can sell it like that. And the other side of it is that if you are non-compliant, the actual report that we provide is a bit different from what other inspectors um, do, is that it is it is clear, it is concise, there's photos. It's also very organised, you know. So the issues you have, because, you know, it's, it's clear in the report that this is all you need to do. As long as you fix these items, then for the for the actual buyer, then well, I mean, they can look at that and say, okay, this is not too bad. I have a list here of what needs to be done. There's clear solutions. There is a way out of this. So I don't mind buying this property if it's non-compliant because I know that the person on this report is going to help me uh, uh, resolve it. So we try and provide clarity to make the actual real estate agents drop a lot easier as well where they're not dealing with buyers that are not sure or you know what's this going to cost me how bad is the non-compliance and so we clear all that up you know in the report so yeah. if you are selling with 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 a non-compliance at least you know exactly where you're at yeah that's fabulous so, sorry so, i went on a bit with that one no <laughs> so it's great so so that. essentially yeah. if i'm if i'm buying a property it's come back from you with non-compliant I can then yeah. call you back and go, listen, I've got this report off the, the vendor. You've already know the pool. Can you come back out? We, you know, we're yeah. going to fix it. So they can recontact you. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And we'll provide a full service where I'll go out, I'll do a consultation with the new owner and we'll see what, what their vision is and we tie that in with what the regulations are and we make something which is going to be good, good as far as... Uh, you know, as far as compliance and regulations and also something um, aesthetically going to suit the new owners and we can organise all the works and once it's compliant, come out, issue the compliance and update their council records as well. So they're basically trouble-free for them. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. You've cleared up uh, so many questions that um, that I've had and then, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot more to it than... Um, yeah, what, oh, yeah, what I actually thought, and obviously, you know, we'll we'll put all the the compliance checklists and and all the stuff on our um on our links in the show notes, so people can just go and okay. see some. You know, I know you've you know you've got some great examples there on your website, um, and the and the checklist too, which is going to be really handy. Good, thank you very much for that. I appreciate. It. No worries. All right. Well, thank you so much. Sure. It was lovely talking to you. Likewise. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I just had with Tony from 1.2 Pool Safety. He's got some really valuable advice. And if you want to have a look at any of the checklists, he's got a lot of photos and compliances and different things on his website and the links. We'll pop them in the show notes down the bottom. This podcast drops every Wednesday. It's produced by Kieran Christie. It's hosted by me, Carly Eldridge, and it's brought to you by Heritage Media. Bye for now.